and welcome to another episode of ABC Gotham. As always, this is Kate and my co-host Kathleen. Hello, everybody. And this week we know it's very close to Christmas, uh, but we are bringing you a bit of a downer this week. It's it's it can be seen as a downer. That's that's for sure. Yeah, there's a bit of a happy ending. Uh, but this week we'll be talking about the foster system, which. It actually kind of evolved because of certain agencies here in New York in the 19th century. So we're really going to be focusing on New York foster care and pre-foster care, really just kind of talking about the orphanages and what happened to you if you didn't have a place to go. Exactly. And and when we were researching this and thinking about this, and then, of course, when you saw it on the Podbean site or, or wherever it is you listen to this or iTunes, foster kids, foster care. Oh, Lord. And oh, it's going to be depressing. And you know what the thing is, though? It's really not. It You know, we hear about it in the news when something goes horribly wrong. And those are unbelievably tragic. And there's there's really no way to even even express how awful it is when something goes wrong, when a kid falls through the cracks. But what we'll be telling you today is actually a really good, hopeful story. The thing is, even as flawed and imperfect as it is today, and people who work in the foster system will admit that it's not perfect, even as, as, you know, imperfect as it is today. Oh my God. God, have we come a long way. So far, so So, so far. This, what we'll be telling you, the history, is just going from bad news to good news, honestly. I mean, as, as, as difficult as that may be to believe, when you hear about the foster system in the news, that's when you hear about the bad things. And the reason it's news is because they don't happen very often. Kids are placed in great homes, tens of thousands of them every year, and it's it's overall it's a good system that we have, and it's getting better. And we have uh, a couple of items about improvements that are going on in the foster system today. They're really exciting and sound really great for kids. So uh, if you bear with us, you're going to hear about some grim times in the early days and just how legitimately thoughtful loving people have been working to make this better. Yeah, this is actually just a really big shout out to uh, the foster system where absolutely uh, big proponents of, mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. not having children sleep on the street or live in filthy orphanages. I can't imagine how hard it is to to have been either the reformers who made a lot of these changes happen or people even working in that business today. That's got to be that's got to be a hard job. Yeah. Well, Kathleen, you want to start us off uh, way back at the beginning? That's right. So what I'm going to do is just give you a picture of how things looked on a national level really early in in our country's uh, in our country's history. Uh, I'm talking like the 1800s. Right, the U.S. was a brand new nation. There were almost no institutions or social structures at all. Americans had left behind this very established, you know, rigid social order of a crown colony. You know, they were English basically, and then all of a sudden they're free, they didn't replace it with anything. They didn't have those rigorous social strictures. There were very few familiar routines and restrictions. And other than basic law enforcement, there wasn't really a way to assure responsible conduct. I'm not talking about kids. I'm just talking about people in general. Um, There was a lot of migration within the country. Workers are moving into cities and, and manufacturing and mill towns, taking jobs in this newly industrializing northern economy. People are other people are going westward to settle new land in the territories. Immigrants 
are arriving by the boatload in eastern seaboard cities, New York, of course. There weren't a lot of social services. Public health institutions, that wasn't a thing. That just wasn't. And there was a public school system of sorts, but it was it was a joke. It was not. I was going to really say, you didn't have to go, right? Oh, no. No, absolutely not. Mm-mm. And so what I want you to do is kind of picture yourself way back in the early 1800s. Imagine how unstable that this must have felt. Then imagine being confronted, you know, looking around you, you're seeing these increases in crime, disease, insanity. Uh, there's drunks. There's gamblers. People are critically ill. There's derelicts swarming in the streets. And who else is out there in the streets? Children. Children were sent out to work. They had to help contribute to the family. But the U.S. didn't have the kind of apprenticeship system that was more common in Europe where you would be an apprentice to a candle maker or a butcher or a baker and you would have room and board and you would work with this person and you would learn a valuable trade and you eventually go off and and do your own thing. Um, We didn't have that system. We didn't have that set up. So a child who needs to earn a living is, is just a child working in some sort of unsupervised uh, street work, selling things or trying to repair things. or um, And the streets weren't just full of children who were trying to find work or trying to earn their living out there, but also children who were living on the streets. There were plenty of orphans, and not just orphans, there were also kids who were you know, seeking to escape an abusive or a neglectful home life, just like today, or just a simply overcrowded one. We've all seen those pictures, Jacob Rees, How the Other Half Lives. There was just plain out no room in your tenement. You, you know, the street looks better. Yeah, I mean, and also at some point you have these uh, families, these parents who have multiple, multiple children. This is really pre, way pre-birth control. So... We have these families keep going and going, and at some point, you're just kind of like, hey, look, I know you're 10, but we really can't take care of you anymore, so... Yeah. There's four siblings younger than you that we've got to that we've got to take care of, and they wouldn't necessarily kick them out, I'm, I'm hoping, but you got to contribute. you gotta, you got to sell yeah. papers, sell apples, you got to, um, you know run errands for people. I mean, I don't, I don't even know what kids were doing, but it was um, unsupervised street trades is the term that I found in the research. Right. You also have child prostitution at the time. Of course. Yeah. Which is, yeah. It's horrifying. Uh, awful. And of, you know, I, as you'll remember, if you go back to our episode on when we talked about all the gangs here in New York. Uh, mm, mm-hmm, the five points episode. Five points. Yeah. Our other F. Yes, um, all, most of those gangs were kids. That's who, true. When you That's have true. nowhere to go, you know, this gang takes you in and becomes your family. That's it. That's and it. You have community. Who you live with, which is so sad. Isn't it? It's really awful. Yeah, yeah. And the thing is, the New York's leaders, just like leaders in other cities, they saw all this happening. They saw what was going on. They knew that there were people who were having a very hard time, not just children, but like I was saying, the the drunks, the the ill people, the derelicts, poor people, poverty. They saw all this happening. Reformers established the Association for Improving the Condition of the Poor, a very bulky name, AICP. That was established in 1843, and they passed a truancy law. So this is the first thing they did to work 
with kids. This empowered the police to arrest, ready, quote-unquote, vagrant children. So they arrested them. If the kids were found to be an orphan, they were made wards of state, and they were sent to live in an asylum. And there'll be a little more about that later. Kids with one or two parents were returned to their parents, and they were instructed to go to school. And in some cases, the family was receiving some kind of assistance from the city. They could make that a condition. So if you're going to get, for lack of a better term, you know, our modern equivalent of welfare back then, your kid has to go to school. It was a condition of getting that money. And that was a really great way to motivate parents to uh, to get the kid to school. And if that didn't work, then the state would take the kids away from the parents until the parents could shape up. This was not a perfect system. There were actually some police, you know, they were they were empowered to arrest children. Some police considered these laws too harsh and they refused to make arrests. Wow. But other cops did. They picked up kids. These kids had to go somewhere. Where did they go? They went to orphanages. They built asylums. So just like the leaders uh, did for criminals, sick people, poor people, insane people, what you do is you find your problem people, or in the case of kids, young potential problem people, and put them somewhere else. Isolate them. Surround them by others just like them. So this is happening in New York and around the country. They were building asylums, which is just sort of the general term for a big institutional housing uh, to uh, to keep people away from everyone else. It's so sad. It's kind of like the rich people are like, take care of this problem. We don't want to see it. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Similar to Giuliani's approach to the homeless. Yes. Just cart them somewhere Move else. Move them. Yeah. Put them somewhere else. Yeah. And this was happening all over around the country. In the early 1800s, dozens of private charitable organizations, as well as like states and counties, were setting up a bunch of residential institutions. And this included orphanages. Now, they built orphanages ostensibly with the kids' best interest in mind. They were intended to take the kids away from bad influences. So like you were saying, if you're living with your Bowery boys or your dead rabbits or your gang or parents who are too ill or too poor to take care of you or have addiction problems or are just gone a lot of the time, they, they take the kids away from this. They put them in a regimented, regulated environment. Right, which was, was kind of the, the only thing they could think of to do. Also, children at the time, which I've read a bit about, I've read conflicting stories of this, but children at the time weren't seen as children as we see them now, as this thing that... There are stages of development and, you know, you, like childhood kind of didn't exist, especially, I mean, in the upper classes, yeah, childhood definitely still existed, but, and especially, but really even in the upper class, you didn't really have this adolescence that we have now. Um, And so these kids were kind of treated the same way that you treat an adult. So they're like, okay, well, this is a problem. They can't be in the situation they're in. So we'll put them in an orphanage, but these orphanages turned into kind of extensions of, like, I always think of, like, a prison, like, mostly because I can't help but think of, like, Annie, where it's, like, yeah. a, a workhouse. <laughs> I mean, that's that's exactly it. It's, they for a long time, this is around the world, you're right, child development wasn't a thing, childhood wasn't a thing. A lot of times they were just seen as, like, miniature adults. And expected to behave in ways uh, uh, appropriate to that. Obviously, this is not a great <laughs> expectation to have for any kids. Um, 
Yeah, and and they were in these orphanages. And, you know, they weren't great orphanages, but one thing, you know, they they had been rescued in a lot of cases from a poorhouse. So, I don't know, at least at least it gets you away from dangerous adults, although you're still surrounded by dangerous kids. Yeah, so, I mean, the idea was you get them to this regimented, regulated environment. Hopefully, this is going to restore them to health if they were sick and turn them into responsible citizens. So the state could take them from the corrupting influence of impoverished or immoral, immoral and impoverished were often equated. You know, there's a great way to deal with poverty. It's, well, they're impoverished because they're immoral. Uh, take them away from adults like that. And that would put these kids on the path to becoming law-abiding members of society. That would be great. Here's what we're hoping for. One really interesting thing to keep in mind. The term orphanage, not really accurate. These term, the, these institutions, orphanages, were full of kids. Don't get me wrong. They weren't necessarily full of orphans. Right. They were just kind of full of whatever kids needed a place to go. Bingo. Researchers estimate that at the given time, no more than 10 to 20% of the children in orphanages were actually orphans. So like I said a second ago, plenty of them, most of them, in fact, had one or two living parents who were unable to care for them. Usually this is due to poverty Um, or sadly unwilling to care for them or almost worse, were deemed unfit to care for them. So technically... You know, a lot of them, most of them, weren't even orphans. Uh, and like and like I said, a lot of them had been rescued from the poorhouse. There's just so much poverty. You can't take care of your kids. They were deemed an orphan. Um, there's a political science professor at Johns Hopkins by the name of Matthew Krenson. He wrote a book called Building the Invisible Orphanage, a Prehistory of the American Welfare System. Uh, it's an academic book, but... I, The reviews I read on Amazon uh, make it sound like it's actually a pretty interesting read. He says, when orphanages defined who to admit, they defined who was an orphan. The institution, in effect, created the clientele by its admission decisions. Kids with tubercular parents, kids with poor parents, kids with dead parents. So all of those were in an orphanage. All of them were deemed orphans, even though they may have still had Mm. living parents. Um, now, the directors of the, or, these orphanages didn't expect to raise a child to adulthood. The institution was just supposed to be a way station where a kid could receive some care, get some supervision, supervision, learn some discipline, and then be returned home or placed in a better situation. However, a better situation, th- there was a lot of variety in, in what that meant, um, in Massachusetts, they the institutions worked hard to place kids with respectable foster families, but in a lot of other states, they were sent to households and farms as indentured servants, basically forced labor. Um, Kate is going to tell us some more about the orphan trains, where it was a... Oh, uh, I'm so horrified by the orphan uh-huh, train. Uh-huh. It was a popular destination of the Midwest, I believe. Yes, yeah. yeah. Uh, Some orphanages tried to teach the kids a trade. There's a place called the Catholic New York Protectory that had 400 boys working in its shoemaking factory. That was in 1875. By 1900, the Protectory was training boys in plumbing, masonry, bricklaying, seam fitting, and sign painting. Girls worked in the sewing room, so they were learning a trade. I mean, that was 
smart. That was that's a good. Yeah, you can resource. suddenly have something to fall back on, something to do. Exactly. You're prepped for yeah. life, you know. Exactly, exactly. You can take care of yourself when the when the time comes. Um, so you mentioned uh, the orphanage and Annie. Conditions varied, but they tended to not be good. So they didn't have matrons running it, taking baths in gin? <laughs> I I don't know if they did, but I also know they weren't, you know, uh, the Hilton and uh, uh, with lots of loving staff on hand to take care of every need. They were highly regimented, especially early in the century. Children marched to meals. They ate in silence. They wore uniforms. Sometimes they had to have their heads shaved. Corporal punishment was a big thing. Uh, inmates were beaten across the hands with leather straps. You just called the you just called the children in- inmates. Yeah, I called the children inmates. Yep. Um, Crenson, the the. Uh, political science professor says inmates as adults inmates recalled that they were hungry all the time he found accounts of kids in a cleveland orphanage breaking out to raid a nearby bakery breaking out he also came across another story about jewish kids saying kaddish for their orphanage's wretched cook in hope that she would die oh god uh-huh uh-huh uh and you know it wasn't just Poor conditions, but orphanages were often dangerous. The mortality rate was not much better than on the streets. There were older, bigger, tougher kids who would prey mercilessly on the younger, smaller ones. Uh, again, Professor Crenson says as hard as it was to leave kids at the mercy of some adults, it was much worse to leave them at the mercy of a hundred kids. Living in an orphanage meant either being a predator or a victim. He found accounts of older boys sodomizing younger ones. There were institutions that were well-run by compassionate people, but in general, an orphan's life was a tough life. But like I said, many of them had been rescued from the poorhouse where conditions were, believe it or not, even worse. So now Kate is going to tell us another option for an orphan. Hey, kids, let's get on the train. Yeah, so I'm going to make things a little better now that you've heard about the terrible bullying and man we think bullying's bad now i know i know so the two institutions that really changed and that really changed the what happened to children when they had nowhere to go and who actually really created the foster system that we see now we have two institutions of course they're divided along religious lines. Of course. Uh, for the Roman Catholics, we have the Foundling Hospital or the Foundling Asylum, uh, started by the Sisters of Charity. So their big thing was there was a rise of infanticide in the 1860s. Oh, my God. Because of waves of really poor immigrants. hmm mm-hmm. Coming in and um, also social disruption, which is really like a lack of community solidarity or family bonds. So, you know, uh, huge, they, it always happens during huge population growth. So, when you have these waves of immigrants or people coming in from the countryside, people coming into a city to make a new life, that's a huge change, and you suddenly don't have the family to rely on. Exactly. And, Kathleen, if you get knocked up, what are you going to do? Well, you're not going to get an abortion. Yeah, so... Unless you do, and that's a huge risk in itself. Right, so there were just... uh, Yeah, ooh, yeah. 
So you have this um, nun, Sister Irene Fitzgibbons, who's the founding sister for the Foundling Hospital. How many mm-hmm. times can I say the word found in a sentence? A million. She actually, and I saw this in Italy when I was there. I'm not sure if you saw it when you were there, Kathleen, but um, it's a similar idea. She would place a white wicker cradle on the doorstep of this um, small house, white house. Actually, it was at 17 East 12th Street. I think it's still there. Huh. Uh, it was the very first foundling asylum. And so the idea was, rather than kill your baby, uh-huh. <laughs> drop your baby off here and walk away. No like, questions asked. No questions. You don't have to fill out paperwork. We don't need to know how long ago this baby was born, who the father is. Just leave the baby here rather than kill it or leave it out to die. So the first baby, abandoned baby, is so sad, was left there um, October 11th, 1869. And there were uh, 45 more that month. What? 45 that month? 45 more babies that month. Two years later, 2,500 babies. Oh my God, Kate. Right. I know. Really, stop having babies. <sighs> they couldn't. They had no... I know. Oh my God. So, now here's the thing. Babies get older, right? Sure. And with, if within the first month you have 45, the first year, two years you have 2,500, say the first year you have 1,000 babies... They get bigger, and the babies are all going to be about the same age, right? Uh-huh. Within a two-year gap. Sure. So they get a larger building. Uh-huh. And what are you going to do with these kids? There's just, there's a lot. Now, when the kids are there, they are, they have free health care. They take nice. care of the babies. It's a much more, it's a nicer environment than the orphanages that had existed. But it's, I mean, it's run by nuns. I'm sure it's still really strict. But it's still, you know, they still need another solution. Now, at the same time, we have the Children's Aid Society starting up. This is our Protestants. It's actually still in operation today. Today, they offer foster care, medical and mental health, free, free education. Sweet. Recreation centers, advocacy. They have community centers. They also started a charter school here in New York. Around 1853, which is just about a little more than a decade before our nuns, uh, it was founded by philanthropist Charles Loring Brace. I I think of him kind of, when I was researching this, I kind of just pictured Bloomberg. (laughs) Why? I think philanthropist, I think philanthropist, and that's all I can think these days. I see. Rich guy. Rich guy. So he is actually considered the father of modern foster care movement. Um, he's the one that starts the orphan train, which we're going to get into in just a little bit, but I'll give you a a bit of background on him. He studied divinity at Yale. Uh, he actually grew up in Connecticut with his father. His mother died when he was, uh, still a teenager. He was 14. And then he moves to Manhattan where he finishes his studies at the Union Theological Society. He's drawn to New York as the center of American Protestantism. And it's a huge hub for social activity. Not only that, but his best friend, Frederick Law Olmsted, lives in New York as well. Oh, Olmsted, our good good friend. friend. We'll have to cover him a bit more this season. Yes. Uh, So he decides to, when he sees the conditions of children and where they're having to live, abandoned or 
orphaned or just children living on the street. He is really horrified, so he concentrates his life work on helping children. First, he's a minister on our favorite, one of our favorite islands, Blackwell Island. Ah, love it. And then it's after he is a minister at the Five Point Mission that he's like, what is going on? (laughs) At the time, he sees children whose parents, as Kathleen went into, were abusive, alcoholic, unfit, which lead to the kids joining the street gangs. uh, And they pretty much write them off. So you've got... He says at some point he saw five-year-olds in jail because they just didn't know what to do with them. Ugh. Yep. Children were living in old sheds and shacks and the street. Child prostitution was rampant uh, because you also, they're living on the street. They're in these gangs. Drug addiction was becoming a problem. So then they're and also children? stealing. Yeah. Stealing oh to support drugs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Goo Goo Knox, his gang was big into uh cocaine, I think. Oh, wow. So, in 1854, a year after he starts the Children's Aid Society, there are 34,000 homeless children in New York City. Now, our guy believes that orphanages only deepen the dependence of poor on charity and thinks the best way to treat the problem is prevention, which is actually a very good idea. Yeah. His initial reforms, now in prevention, he's saying he gives free kindergarten, free dental, Mm -hmm. free job placements for parents, training programs for parents and children, reading rooms where you could learn how to read as well as write, and he did lodging houses for boys. It didn't say anything about girls, but this is the first foster home that he creates. He also makes the first parent-teacher association. Wow. Wow. Now, if you say lodging homes for boys and that's the first foster home, wouldn't that be the first orphanage? No, because they're not orphanages with massive amount of kids. It's like one or two people taking care of a few children. So a smaller place, a smaller group of people. Okay. Exactly. And the idea is that they're fostering them with the hope that a more permanent situation will come along, much Mm -hmm. like today's foster system, instead of... They're in an orphanage, and there's not too much we could do to get you out of this. So, But this was more like a small situation where the boys could go, and they would try to place them with more permanent families that would adopt them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, he does away with the in- indenture system. Oh, good. So basically slavery, like indentured servitude and... Yeah, yeah, I'm going to get into Good. that a little bit. Good. But he he also has makes it so that children can leave. If they're placed mm. into a bad situation, these people are checked up on regularly nice. so that the children can leave. So it's a big difference from, okay, somebody wants you, go, and good luck. Okay, so now we're getting to the orphan train. All right. So both institutions that I just talked about used the orphan train. So first it starts out with the baby trains, because there are so many babies, especially from the um, Foundling Hospital, Foundling Asylum, that they're just shipping babies out. And so people are taking the babies, and they love it, and yay, there's babies. But then it turns into the orphan train. Now these are, of course, not just, as Kathleen said, not just orphaned kids, but homeless as well. Yeah. So, the idea is to move kids from New York City and other eastern cities, but it kind of started here, and that's what we're talking about, uh, to rural areas of the Midwest. 
It goes on from 1853 all the way to 1929. Are you serious? Yeah. Oh, my Lord. So that was Annie's time. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Annie could have been on an orphan train. I know. Good thing Annie didn't get put on a train. That story would have been really different. It sure would. Oh, my God. I mean, it surprises me that it lasted that long because ultimately that was kind of a horrible idea, wasn't it? I, I don't know. They try really hard. Um, by the way, I one thing I forgot to mention as I'm talking about the orphan train, one thing I forgot to mention about the Foundling Hospital, I mentioned that it started about a, a little more than a decade afterwards. And it's actually started up because the nuns were afraid that these Catholic children were being placed in Protestant homes. That's why they started up. And that's kind of why they get in on the orphan train and baby train, too. Yeah. Because Charles Brace, of course, is, you know, just putting kids wherever. He's like, whoever takes them. Right, but right. the Catholics are like, no, 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 whoa, no, Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> yeah. On there. Uh-huh. I do know this was a problem throughout the the brand new foster system was Protestant homes taking in Catholic babies, and the Catholics were like, not okay. And this happened with other faiths, too. Um with uh, Jewish orphans, not necessarily be taken in by non-Jewish families, but they would be taken in by like Americanized Jewish families, and, right. and the the faith wouldn't be held quite in the way that that perhaps this, if it was like a, a baby of Hasidic parents, then you know suddenly is being raised by much more liberal Jewish family. Then this was the impetus for setting up Jewish orphanages, and of course we know what happened to Native American children who were brought to cities and brought to boarding schools and adopted to white families to help them integrate slash forget their culture. I mean, there's there's a pretty horrific uh, uh, history of, you know, adopting babies into other religions, other races, other cultures. Yeah, yeah. Which is why now I believe they try to adopt white babies to white families, black babies to black families. I'm not 100% really? sure about how strict that is, but I do think no, that's... No, because I have some friends that adopted a baby that was not their race. Oh, okay. Uh, well, then I must be adoption, wrong, because so... you know one situation where it went the well, other way. Well, I think it's, it was also <laughs> the open adoption, so the I mother see. gets to choose. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's part of it. So, okay, continue. All of these foster... When we talk about all these... A lot of these orphanages and foster care... They're really segregated. Ah. Um, we talked a little bit about, in the riots episode, I think, uh, the Colored Orphan Asylum, as it was called. The first orphanage in the U.S. to care for African-American children. It's in 1837. Of course, it burned down during the draft riots. But it was rebuilt. Uh, another example of this, you were just talking about um, Jewish children, was the Hebrew Benevolent Society, uh-huh. which takes care of Jewish orphans, girls learn domestic skills, because what else do you need, Kathleen? Boys learn shoemaking and printing, which I really found interesting, being a printer. But my favorite thing about this is it, there's even a clash within the Hebrew Benevolent Society. It's not very benevolent. There is a, was apparently a Reform and Orthodox Jews got in a Tammany-style brawl <gasps> over whether or not the boys would wear yarmulkes. Wow. Yeah, I love the Tammany-style brawl. I, oh, wow. I'm flabbergasted. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's it's crazy. So back to our orphan train. Yes. So this is how it works. Charles Brace thinks that um, only a strong family life plus hard work and education could turn kids self-reliant, which is kind of the motto of the time is, you know, be as self-reliant as possible. Yes. Um, And this is as opposed to institutional life, which he says is really bad for the kids. In the 1850s alone, uh, there were 30,000 kids placed on a train. Is that all of them? Do you know? Was it, did they just send everyone or did they... Did they just send certain ones, just the the tough ones, or? I know. I think they really are just like shuttling as many out as possible. So the trains would be, at first, I read the conflicting things. Some says, "Oh, they're so lovely. They're in these cars, and they have a couple adults watching them." And I think in the end, it was, as it went on, there were complaints, so it got better. But in the beginning, it's little better than cattle cars. There are 30 to 40 kids in one car. Oh, Kate. Anywhere from 6 to 18 years old. This is after the baby train. Yeah. The baby train is just babies. Sure. There'd be two or three adults as supervision, and that's it. And they're just kind of, sh- they're like, go. Let's Take them. Get yeah. out of the city. The, the children are encouraged to forget uh, ever, their past. Oh. They're like, you know what? This uh-huh. is a fresh start. Forget everything, start anew. Uh, what's really controversial about this, besides the shuttling children away from possibly parents that still live in New York City. Right. Um, or trying to find other family members. They're just like, they're, they're kind of all treated as orphans and all shuttled out of the city. Homeless kids, everything. Can you imagine the, some kid whose parent just was too poor? And I was like, okay, I'm gonna you're gonna go to this place, and it's just for a little while, just until I can get another job, and then I'm gonna get you back, and we'll be together again. And then you find out your kid is somewhere. Right. It's it's yeah, and these kids probably never saw their families again. Oh, how awful. Um, so the children were put on when they got off the train. They're put on a stage-like platform. Uh, they were encouraged to sing or dance to attract attention. That's pretty horrifying. The townspeople are would come around check. Kathleen, they would check their teeth um, and muscles. Unbelievable! Unbelievable! It's essentially a slave market. Yeah, yeah. Um, siblings are separated since most families, most people who are coming to pick out a child mm-hmm. would only take one. Yeah. So siblings are separate. You know, you're on the train the whole way with your brother or sister and then you get there and that's it. These are human beings. It's so, and they're kids. I just imagine like seven year olds. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, so it's, it's bad. In the beginning, it's really bad. Some of the kids become indentured servants. You just imagine these people go to the train station See it as, like, free help. They bring the kid home and put the kid to work. That's it. I mean, you get room and board. Arguably, it's better than the streets of New York, but wow. Wow. Oh, how awful. Some of them did get loving families. I'm sure. This is not. Mm -hmm. And and there were lots of changes made to the system. Mm -hmm. Later on, um, you know, they did check on the children and make sure that... Because there were so many horror stories coming out yeah, of yeah. kids just being indentured servants mm-hmm. and being told, well, we saved you from a life in the city and you owe us for what we did for you. Yeah, yeah. 
I, I won't be hearing any complaints. We saved your life kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So uh, the controversy is – one of the other controversies is that abolitionists see it as a form of slavery, which it kind of is. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. And the pro-slavery people hate it because <laughs> they see it as a part of the abolitionist movement because labor by these kids makes slaves unnecessary. I – wow. That's such a – really messed up way to think you know it's wow i'm trying to get into that mindset of like the people who have and want to keep black slaves and suddenly white orphans are coming out and they are threatened by that as if there's not enough work to go around or something i i don't understand i think those people are not necessarily Able to, I don't think I could understand. I can't, I can't quite get my mind around that. Listeners, if you can fathom that, let us know because I'm having a hard time with this. Yeah, it's it's really bad. Yeah, so the it goes on for a really long time. It does get better. Um, children are. I mean, New York was a bad place to be at the time. Yeah, but... yeah. And I, I mean, if the if the people are checking up more than. Just the threat of that is enough to possibly help a lot of kids. The things that change, you know, the, the kids drop off, especially the, um, well, the kids, like the kids that are sent out of the city slowly drops off, especially the foundling hospital, which uh, ends up becoming, there's still a New York foundling hospital yeah. and it's associated with St. Anne's in the city. Um, they start providing more health care to the mothers and children. Aha. Uh-huh. And especially providing health care to unwed mothers at uh, St. John's Hospital for sick children. They also, rather than, like, if you have a very sick child, how do you have the money to treat the child? They really have start having a lot more care for the mothers and the children. Yeah, yeah. That won't, like, devastate you on how much it costs. That's so important. That is so important. Yeah. In 1881, the St. John's Hospital for Sick Children I was just talking about, they actually developed pediatric care for children in hospital settings as opposed to just kind of treating them as adults. They Are concerned. you serious? 1881? We didn't have pediatrics? Not in a hospital, no. Wow. Not in a hospital setting. Wow. Yeah, they're just small adults, remember? Yeah, they're just little adults. Uh, wow. But it's not until 1930, the year after the orphan train ends, that we get a social services department. What took us so long? I don't understand. Right, but I mean, things things changed. Like some of the stuff that the Children's Aid Society that they do now and they did then, they really changed things from to really focusing on the children and what's the best what's the best thing for the child instead of just we can't deal with this and best of luck. So I have some information here <clears throat> about, um, uh, but not a lot because we might address it in another episode, about uh, some kids who couldn't live with their parents because they were found guilty of crimes. Uh, what you just heard about was just the average kid, the average kid living at home, living on the street, parents are sick, parents are poor, parents are dead. Um, a kid who commits a crime or found guilty of a crime, what was their situation? So in the late 18th century and early 19th century, courts treated children, surprise, exactly the same as it treated adults. They were tried, they were convicted, they were sent to jail. This is 
everyone, big kids, little kids, boys, girls, old, young, all of them were locked up with seriously dangerous criminals or severely mentally ill adults. Jails, obviously, were huge. They were poorly maintained. They were packed. The worst part, jail was often the only place to put these kids, and many were there who hadn't committed any crime at all. Just like you mentioned earlier, like there was some nine-year-old or five-year-old or something like that in jail because they didn't know where else to put them. So awful. Isn't it? It was just cities all across the U.S. had so much child poverty and they forced the politicians to address the issue. I mean, if it's so bad that the only way this kid can have a roof over their, head, over their head and meals is there in jail? Problem. Stop it. Address it. So Thomas Eddy and John Griscom organized the Society for the Prevention of Pauperism. We got a lot of reformers in this episode. And thank God, because you need them. The whole point was to keep kids out of jails and prisons with adults. They didn't just want separate jails. They wanted an entirely new and separate system for children. If a children legitimately commits a crime, if a kid murders someone, you do have to do something about that. Right, you know? right. Um, they, but they wanted a system for that. They wanted a better system. So they opened the New York House of Refuge in 1825. So this wasn't a place to just warehouse a wayward youth. The idea was to give food and shelter to kids who seemed headed for a life of crime. Now, a kid who seems headed for a life of crime could be a kid who killed someone, who stole things, or a poor orphan child. So again, those boundaries and borders of who qualifies to live there were very fluid. Um, but to be fair... A poor and impoverished orphan child is is at risk for a life of crime. Uh, right, yeah. So the brilliant idea was something you mentioned before, prevention, not punishment. And this House of Refuge was the forebear of our current juvenile justice system. So with three years of its opening, similar institutions were opening in Boston and Philadelphia. And by the 1840s, approximately 25 more facilities like this were constructed throughout the country. Basically... Kids need help. Get them away from the criminal adults, please. Thank you. And yeah. and at the very least, get them separate. Give them a chance. Now, of course, a house of refuge wasn't particularly nice. Uh, they were, to put it bluntly, fortresses. It was a fortress. Um, everyone lived together. At one point, the New York house had over a 1,000 kids. It still had the problem of mixing the unfortunate, unlucky people with the criminal people. So an abandoned child could end up just as easily as a delinquent or an incorrigible child. And, you know, they still haven't hadn't addressed that problem. Eventually, however, these houses of refuge quickly showed the same flaws that you would find in an adult prison. that was poorly maintained, too many people, too little space overseers abusing their authority. Aww. So reformers then began talking about the need for education. So the, uh, this brings us to kind of a weird, uh, place in the, on the way to the modern juvenile correctional facilities. And these are institutions called quote, training and industrial schools, also known as reform schools. So, Oh, I didn't reform schools are scary. Exactly, exactly. So, so I didn't do too much work uh, on this. We might save it for another episode, but just to give you an idea of what how kids were handled when uh, 
when punitive measures had to be considered. Yeah, I think some of these like reform schools, they kind of they need their own podcast. That's it. Um, it it's too much for for this podcast, which is already gone pretty long. So we yeah, we, will we have like Willowbrook State School, which is just horrifying. Mm. What was Willowbrook State School? Was that a reform school or was that an orphanage or what? It kind of when I was re I, when I was researching it slightly it reminded me of American Horror Story season two. Ah, <laughs> asylum. It was a it was actually a state funded institution for children with they're saying intellectual disability. Oh, but they I, I'm not really sure who was who went there. Mm-hmm. I, it's uh, it was shut down because it was. The the medical practices and experiments on these children uh. were were so awful. Um, actually, uh, Robert Kennedy called it a snake pit. Oh my god! Um, it was really bad. Like kids died. Mm-hmm. It was it was awful. Anyway, um, so yeah, maybe some of that stuff. That's a bit. That's really downer. So we'll do uh, that when there's like a really happy holiday. Yes, yes, and I will tell you about the system we have today, which is. A way to end this on a very positive note. You'll be happy to hear. Now, in modern New York City, we have no more orphanages. Of course, we do still have orphans. So we do need a system. Um, we don't really call them orphans anymore. They're children in state custody or they're wards of state. And we do have a good system for taking care of them. So the city itself does not directly care for the kids. What there are... Um, there's a number of charitable organizations who are licensed by the city to care for New York's orphans. These organizations are much more closely supervised by the state than right. the orphanage of the past were. Maybe not as closely supervised as would be ideal. You know, there's limitations of staff and funding, obviously, but they are under the microscope. People are keeping track and keeping an eye out, and that has made all of the difference in the world. Well, a big difference between then and now is that now the ultimate goal is to reunite the kids with their biological families. Absolutely. Whenever possible, and they do absolutely everything they can for that. Yeah. Unfortunately, sometimes that's not possible. Yeah, no no orphan trains. At least, yeah, no no more of those. Um, We kind of have that for animals now. You know, the animal shelter I worked in, we were constantly bringing animals up from Alabama and Georgia. Constantly. Mm. I don't know why that would be. Anyway. Dog trains? On trains. Well, I guess they're in cars. Mm. Orphan dogs and orphan cats' cars. Um, well, if they can't put them back with their families, mm-hmm. now they they will try to find an adoptive family who will take on the emotional and legal responsibility of the kids. So it's not like there are group homes and there are foster homes, uh, but they really try to have stability for these kids now. Exactly. Which is I think that was lacking in the past. Exactly. And you're going to really love this this new idea. I'll, I'll tell you about in a minute. Yeah. So like Kate says, the system consists of foster homes and like you'd mentioned earlier, group homes. So group homes are like orphanages, but like we were saying, much, much smaller. These are for kids who are in between foster placements or for kids who can't be placed. And that's usually due to physical or mental illness. So... Those kids aren't falling through the cracks. They might not be in a foster home. They're in a group home, but it's a smaller group. There's more staff. They're more closely supervised. It's it's a more comfortable situation. 
the biggest group of these charitable organizations who uh, who's licensed to care for our kids is good old Children's Aid Society. Still with us. Yay. Yeah. Uh, with headquarters right in Manhattan. They're on East 22nd Street. They're a great group. They are not perfect, of course, but they're doing really good work for the kids who need it. And they're always looking for better ways to help these kids. They're incredibly proactive. If you go to the Children's Aid Society website, it'll blow your mind. They do so much good stuff. One great new program. I love this. You're going to love this. They're trying it out now. It's called Community-Based Foster Care. The idea with this is to place kids in foster homes within their own communities. That's great. Uh huh. There's tons of advantages to this. The kid can stay in their same school. They keep hanging out with their same friends. They remain in familiar surroundings. This hopefully minimizes disruption, shortens the amount of time they need to transition, makes this whole process less traumatic. It's still traumatic. Don't get me wrong. This doesn't solve all the problems. But it, you know, I I can't even put my mind there and how hard it is. Yeah, because they don't lose their friends because they're moved somewhere else. Exactly, you know, exactly. It's like we're going to change as little of uh-huh. this as possible to make right. this as easy on you as we can. Any parent will tell you consistency is so important. You know, the, that kid who can eat macaroni and cheese every night of the week and would be yeah, yeah, perfectly yeah. happy if you let them. Consistency, structure, systems are are so so important to a kid's mental well-being if you can keep them in their neighborhood with their people so so great so uh in the best case scenario of course the aid society will keep working with the birth parents if they're still in the picture they're going to help the parents make use of city and state resources they're going to tell them how to get you know get access to that in their neighborhoods if the parents need a job, need job training, have a substance abuse issue, need, you know, some sort of financial counseling, any number of these reasons that they might lose their kids or have to give up their kids for a while. Children's Aid doesn't just turn their back on the parents and focus on the kid. They're working on the family, which is... That's awesome. It's it's incredible. I don't know how they do it. Um, they want to help the parents improve the situation, maybe get their kids back in the future. So now they're trying out this community-based foster care in many cities in the U.S. And the Children's Aid Society has a, a location, the Bronx Family Center. This is on Southern Boulevard in the Bronx. That is one of the first places to be trying this new uh, approach. So fingers crossed. I hope that works. Yeah. I hope it's not just some, you know, over-idealistic thing that doesn't doesn't work out. It sounds... There's so many benefits to that. So, uh, best case scenario. I'd just like to say that um, most of these organizations, including Children's Aid Society, mm-hmm. though they're state licensed, um, they're actually independent nonprofit organizations. Mm-hmm. And they do get some government funds, but they do rely on charitable donations. So, as a plug for the holiday season, if you're looking for a charity to donate towards, any of these organizations are amazing places and would be more than happy to take your donation <laughs> I'm so, I'm sure no matter how big or small and you want to donate before december 31st so you can put it in your taxes exactly look mm-hmm. we are help we're here to help you guys that's right tax advice and everything <laughs> yeah um on our facebook page we're also by the way going to put a link um how stuff works actually did a lot of the work for us today on mm. the modern foster care system mm-hmm. they have a great a great um a, a whole article on how this works in case you want to go a little more in depth awesome awesome 
Yeah. And go to the Facebook page, check out the pictures. There's a link right down there. And I hope that you learned something you didn't know before. Yes, and before we sign off, there is a listener mail that we have been meaning to read for quite some time. <laughs> oh, God, you're right. And I feel really bad we haven't done it yet, so we have to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, this is from Jaquetta, who mm-hmm. is a fan of ours, who is on... Hey, You Know It, starring Jaquetta Stopmari and Katie Kazmer. Really, really good podcast. Really funny women. They interviewed us a couple of times. Uh, great friends of ours. And, uh, and they're I also... I crack up ABC every time Coffee. I listen yeah. to them. I know. I know. I, I die. We love them. Yeah. So, Hey, You Know It is also on Podbean. It's on iTunes. It's on Stitcher. Definitely check it out. They are a couple of funny, funny ladies. Yeah. So Jaquetta sent us a really great uh, comment on our episode on crack. She says, I loved your podcast on crack. Being from Maryland and having a family who worked in social services in Baltimore Mm. during what the media insisted in calling the crack epidemic, (laughs) I was familiar with a lot of the material you covered. And you guys did some fantastic research, and boy, was it entertaining as well as informative. Oh, I know. The best wow. parts for me were the insights you had on the media reportage, mm. an eye-opening, and you and are a good reminder that the press is there to sell tickets to the circus. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. It's true. The press is very important. We would be in very bad shape without them, but honestly, in cases like the crack epidemic or... or yeah. I was I was listening to our five points episode today and talking about how horrific and awful the slums are. Like, yeah, you also do want to sell your newspaper, so they do, they do. Yeah, yeah. She also says great work, and I look forward to future podcasts. Feel free to oh. use this on air if you wish. Hey, guess what? We did. We sure Thank did. You, Thank you, Jaquetta. Thank you so much. And yes, anyone, please write in any thoughts you have. We have an email at the Podbean site and on iTunes. You can comment. If you like it, a five-star review would be a great Christmas present for ABC yes. Gotham. <laughs> and if you don't, we want to hear that. But don't don't say that. Don't express that as a zero-star review because that's actually really bad. Uh, but just email us. We are happy to take any feedback. If you hear any errors, let us know. If you have any yes, questions please. or any suggestions, tell us, tell us, tell us. We are always open to anything. Yeah, please, as Kathleen said, please like us on our Facebook page. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I hope this gets you through your holiday travel or mm. through the holidays with family, if that's what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, we will see you in the new year. That's right. Talk to you next time at Episode G. Yeah, bye, guys. Bye. I wish you could be here with me on this night in New York City. I wish you For more ABC Gotham, go to our website, abcgotham.podbean.com. Special thanks to Podcasting's Brock. Music for ABC Gotham is by Big Rude Jake. ABC Gotham is a K2 production, copyright 2013, all rights reserved. me on this night of New York City.